Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Wow, buddy! You look healthy and happy. Veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. That's why he developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Hmm. Maybe I should try some of your pet food myself. Okay, okay. I'll start with a salad. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When he was moved to this private room, he told Gardy that he had heard about the murder through the media because the Gardy had said that they were there investigating the murder. He then asked the Gardy if he was a suspect, and they said, no, but you are a person of interest. Joseph Puska added that, um, the reason I'm pleading guilty is that I don't want anything to happen to my family, nothing bad to them. I feel guilty, I say it, and I regret it. And as they were leaving and walking out, Joseph Puska pointed to his stomach to the three marks and said, I do this. I'm Nicola Talent. And you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The trial of Joseph Puska, accused of killing 23-year-old Ashling Murphy, is in its second week. This week, the jury heard about the admissions made in the defendant's Garda interviews, the friend who lied to Gardy, and Ashling Murphy's final movements. I'm Niall Donald and I'm joined by Crime World's Claude Amini to discuss the latest developments. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So Claude, we had a, a, a long day of evidence again um, where we heard some of details of the one of the central features of what the prosecution case is, which is basically um, yeah, conversations that Gardy had with Joseph Puska's Joseph Puska in in the hospital. Um, so obviously, um, Joseph Puska was in hospital in Dublin and we heard details of of, of when the Gardaí first approached him. Um, I think it was on the 12th, was it the 13th of January? It was the 13th of January. Yeah. So yeah, we heard evidence from a couple of different Garda today. Um, so on the 13th of January at about 21.40, so about 20.10 at night, uh, the guards from Tullamore arrived up after the Gardaí and Blanchardstown had contacted them to say that somebody had travelled up with injuries um, and there was a lot of kind of pieces of the puzzle that weren't being able to be put together from his story. The story that had been stabbed in Blanchardstown just wasn't making sense. So that night, um, Detective Garda Fergus Hogan travelled up to St. James's Hospital um, and he, or he met the Gardaí from Blanche, whoever at this 
t- point he wasn't actually able to speak with Joseph Puska. So the next day he travelled back. So on the 14th to St. James's Hospital with Sergeant Brian Jennings. And Brian Jennings, I was there during two conversations that happened that day. The first, which was at 12 p.m. and the other one was at 6 p.m. So the first one that day, uh, Garda Hogan spoke to Joseph Puska at his bedside where he noted he had numerous scratches all over his head and hands. And he said that he was in discomfort. Now, at this point, they had kind of been speaking and he realised that Joseph Puska didn't have great English. So they moved into another room for a bit more privacy and that way they could get him an interpreter. Again, it was during COVID. So the interpreter was on the phone and... he was asked why he came to Dublin and he told the guard that he came up to meet a woman named Maria. He got a lift from Burr in Offaly from a friend named Tom. He didn't give a surname and said that he was dropped off at Houston Station where he got a taxi to Blanchardstown. He then said he was attacked by two men uh, before he got a, a taxi to his father's house in Crumlin. And at this point, he also mentioned to Gardy that he his bike had been stolen two weeks prior and described the bike um, as black on the back and green on the front. But he said he didn't report it as stolen. So at this point, obviously, he when the guards have first approached him, he'd been getting surgery or being treated at least for wounds that he he'd sustained to his stomach. Joseph Puska obviously is charged with the murder of Ashling Murphy, and um, he has denied all charges and pled not guilty. So did we hear details of of of? those injuries or, or, or. Yeah. So we heard that he had three wounds to the stomach. Um, it seemed to Gardy like those wounds were kind of, they weren't actively bleeding. Um, they seemed to have been, you know, the bleeding had stopped and they were, they, they kind of weren't, um, fresh as they said. Um, and again, he had these scratches to his neck and the back of his hands. So by the time they, 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 spoke to him directly. Um, it was Detective Sergeant Brian Jennings. Um, they had, uh, I think they had earlier executed a, a search warrant, was it, uh, as well? Um, yeah. So when they came back for the second conversation at about 6.20pm, um, uh, Sergeant Pamela Nugent went to the hospital at about 20 past six and she executed a warrant to seize items belonging to him. So she said today in court that the warrant was for, you know, it was, it was it wasn't executed on Joseph Puska, it was for the hospital. Right, However, okay. his name was mentioned on the um, warrant. Um, they took some property from his bedside locker so they were noted as a Nokia phone, um, a plastic yellow patient bag with a tag on it, with his name on it. Um, there was a shopping bag with Santa on the outside, um, which it seemed or appeared to have clothes on the inside of it. And they also um, seized a clear plastic wallet that had a Slovakian ID um, and a COVID cert. And um, Pamela Nugent said at this point he was kind of calm and engaging and he appeared to be okay. So he was he was speaking to Gardy at this point, wasn't he? He wasn't, you know, st- staying silent. He was interacting with them. And when Brian Jennings began to speak to him at this point, he was, was he on his own with him or was it, it was in a separate room, was it? They'd taken him away to get blood samples, I think. Or? Yeah, so they, no, the, the blood samples um, was actually to do with he, they got a blood, a po, uh, sorry, a pre-transfusion blood sample okay. um, as part of that warrant. Um, but they took him to a separate room again, just for privacy because yeah. it was on a six six bed ward right. um, and because he had poor English and they had to get a translator and that translator would be on loudspeaker um, they had to bring him to a separate room for privacy right. um, so when he was moved to this private room he told Gardy that he had heard about the murder through the media because the Gardy had said that they were there investigating the murder when he asked why they were taking his um, belongings um, when he then asked the Gardy if he was a suspect and they said, no, but you are a person of interest. And at this point, he paused for what was described as a notable period, yeah. looking back and forth between the two guards um, before he spoke in Slovakian to the 
interpreter. And this interpreter was described as kind of being very shocked and shaky as they were translating to English what he had said. And he had said, I commit the murder. I did it. I murdered. I am the murderer. At this point then he was cautioned, um, offered a solicitor and told that everything would be written down. He was very upset and crying. Um, the caution was reiterated to him numerous times throughout the course of the, the evening. He wasn't re-cautioned any time. They were just reminding him of the caution and yeah. um, because he kept speaking and making statements. Um, he also added that he didn't do it intentionally. Detective Sergeant Brian Jennings said um, of Puska, logically he was going to be arrested as he admitted to committing murder. Um, and Puska was, he was very nervous for his family. Um, he was concerned the Gardaí would hurt his family. He was concerned that um, Ashing Murphy's family would hurt his family. Um, however, the Gardaí reassured them and said that, you know, the, the Murphys are good people. They're not going to hurt your family. Um, and then he also added, Joseph Puska added that um, the reason I'm pleading guilty is that I don't want anything to happen to my family. Nothing bad to them. I feel guilty. I say it and I regret it. And he spoke at one point, did he, about, um, uh, according to Gardy, he spoke about uh, a knife wound he said was sustained by Ashling Murphy at one point. Yeah, so what happened was, after kind of making those admissions, um, Detective Newton and Detective Jennings left um, to get a solicitor. Gardy Newton went to get that blood sample and Jennings went to, to contact, because um, he had freely allowed to contact a solicitor because under the law he has rights to get one. Yeah. Um, Detective Fergus Hogan was then in the room with him on his own at this point. Um, and Joseph Puska said to him, I'm sorry, I have, five, I have family, five kids. I see a girl I've never seen before. I have a knife I use for chain, chain on bike. I tell her, go, I won't hurt her. And when she passed, I cut her neck. She panic, I panic. He then put his fingers to his lips and, you know, gestured to how he had told Ashing Murphy to be quiet. Um, he then asked if he was going to get 10 years and asked the detective, will you talk with me? To which the detective said it, it wasn't something that he could talk about today. They just wanted to make sure he was all right. Um, and, and Jennings came back at this point to say they were leaving Joseph Puska and told him that a nurse would be back in to see him. Um, and as they were leaving and walking out, Joseph Puska pointed to his stomach to the three marks and said, I do this. Right. And then they left. So did those, those Gardaí who are obviously central to the prosecution case. Have they completed their evidence now or are they, they coming back? Uh, Garda Fergus Hogan com completed his evidence today um, in cross-examination. I believe we may hear from more Gardaí tomorrow yeah. morning. Yeah. So earlier on, um, obviously we haven't had done an update on Crime World for a number of days, but um, earlier on we we heard uh, evidence about, about Ashley Murphy's movements on the day. Um, they spoke about also about CCTV that the prosecution claim is uh, Joseph Puska. And um, we heard obviously information as well um, about uh, yesterday about uh, a Fitbit that Ashley Murphy was wearing. What did that describe? So the between the CCTV footage and the Fitbit data, we got actually a really good picture of the movements of Ashley Murphy prior to her death. Um, so the court was shown CCTV firstly of her um, leaving the school where she worked, driving to Grand Canal in Tullamore and getting out for a walk. Um, at this point then, um, we kind of moved into the Fitbit data because obviously there's no CCTV up and along the canal. Um, Detective Garda Kieran Byrne told the court how Gardy had analysed 
data from the Fitbit watch. Um, he showed them a number of graphs up on the screen, um, one of which was showing the direction in which he was traveling around the um, canal. It showed that she'd walked eastwards along the canal for about two kilometers before she turned back at 3.16 p.m. Um, and she was coming back from a westerly direction. At 3.21 p.m., so approximately five minutes later, the Fitbit watch stop moving in a, in a consistent way. Um, he then described the watch as moving in, a, in a, an erratic manner. He then agreed with the judge um, who said that it was violently fluctuating the, the graph. Um, yeah. Another graph then also tracked Ashing's heart rate and showed that it was raised consistently up until 3.21pm. Um, so the same time that it was moving in and kind of stopped moving in that consistent way. Um, and he said that it was consistent with somebody exercising as well. Those movements up to 3.21 p.m. Obviously, we know she was out for a walk or a jog. Um, Garda Byrne said then that the heart rate slightly increased uh, from 3.27 p.m. until 3.31 p.m. Yeah. Um, and after that time, the Fitbit was no longer picking up a heart rate. Yeah, which is obviously uh, fits with the timeline. That's the prosecution's case. And then who else... Came, we obviously then heard a, a good bit of CCTV evidence as well. Um, obviously, the prosecution's case is that this is tracking Mr. Puska. Um, but we did obviously see a man on a bike, really, as it was, was the CCTV in or around the area. Was, was, was there, there was extensive CCTV images. There was extensive CCTV and some eyewitness um accounts of Joseph Puska's movements that evening. So one of the guardies showed the movements of a man that the prosecution are saying is Joseph Puska on a bike around Tullamore between 12.25pm and 2.05pm, so about an hour and a half before um, Ashing Murphy was killed. Um, at 1.53pm, uh, the guard has said that Mr. Puska pulled up on his bike and put his hands in his pocket um, and then he put both of his hands out in front of his body and the guardie said that in this footage it appeared that he had something in his hand um, before he put it back into his pocket. Four minutes later uh, along Church Road there was a woman who was walking her dog and she crossed the road um, and it showed Mr. Puska then following after her uh, approximately about the same place on the road that she had crossed. Now this woman Anne-Marie Kelly is a primary school teacher. She gave evidence to the court yep. that Joseph Puska was following her and then he, she stopped a couple of times to try and let him go past her but when he did there was on these few occasions he would do so slowly and staring at her. She described feeling very uncomfortable and nervous of the man and um, she then changed her route to head back in towards Tullamore and away from the canal um, instead of instead of jogging around there. Um, now, there were no sightings of Mr. Puska between 2.05 and 8.55 p.m. until a man who the prosecution again say is Joseph Puska was captured on CCTV cameras at a garage in Tullamore and eyewitnesses have described how they saw a man in dark clothing on the side of a road in the town at about 8.30 p.m. and they have all said that he was acting suspiciously wearing dark clothes um, and one eyewitness described how he looked shocked and lost. Obviously, that's the prosecution making the case of, of Mr. Puska's movements. The defence, you know, obviously may have a different perspective on that. Um, then we heard from, uh, we also heard from a friend of Joseph Puska who who Joseph Puska called in. I think it was around nine o'clock that the evening Ashling Murphy lost, uh, was killed. Um, he he was a Slovakian as well, living in the area, lived in Ireland for a long time. I I don't know if you want to chance the pronunciation of his name. I was just thinking, how am I going to try and pronounce this? Uh, Rostislav 
Pukuta. Um, right. But he said that everyone calls him Peter, so we can go with that. Okay, okay. So he he obviously knew uh, Mr. Puska, didn't, uh, and he said Mr. Puska called into him. He seemed, I think, at, at one stage he said uh, he, that he was wet and kind of uh, disheveled, basically. And he also discussed how the guards had contacted him at one stage and he said that he, he hadn't he hadn't at that point said that Mr. Puska had been up, called into him, but he said because he was concerned about basically about the, the publicity surrounding the case. How did he describe uh, Mr. Puska's when he called into him at that stage? So he described him as basically he said that he looked like a different person. He didn't look like the Joseph Puska he knew at all. Um Joseph called into his house and told him that he had been in a fight in town but wouldn't really answer any more questions about it. I think Peter said he had asked him about 20 times what happened and he wasn't responding. Um, he, lo- he was looking for a lift home and the man, Peter, ad- agreed to drop him home. But when they got there, um, Joseph asked him to slow down just in case there was somebody outside his house and he said to him, well, if you've done nothing wrong, what are you worried about? And Joseph said, just leave it. Um during cross-examination, then it was revealed that Peter had initially lied when he told Gardy he didn't see Joseph Puska or any of his brothers um, after January 11th. So January 11th would have been the day before the killing. Yeah. Um, but he did eventually later come to Gardy and give another statement with the with what he's told. Now, he was cross-examined by by uh, the defence counsel and he, he, the judge, I think, interjected at one point and said to him... Um, that it was he was the defence counsel suggesting Mr. Puska had suffered stab wounds to the stomach at this point, and he the defence counsel said he was absolutely suggesting that. Um, so that that's an interesting line in terms of what the defence are are doing. Obviously, we're hearing a lot of the prosecution case, um, but the defence are making a case that he's that he is not guilty. What other witnesses then have we heard? Um, today and, 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 and in the, the, the closing stages of yesterday. So we further heard about um, what happened after Joseph Fuska got home. So the next kind of time he pops up on CCTV, um, there's footage of him entering his uh, and his parents entering an apartment building in Crumlin shortly before 1am on the 13th of January. So that'd be the early hours of the next morning. Um, it then showed him leaving that building in the company of paramedics at 11.56 later that day. And then he arrived at uh, St. James's Hospital at about 12 o'clock. Um, we also heard from the two... F- paramedics who responded to the house in Crumlin um, they were told that somebody had been stabbed they were taken up to a bedroom where they found a man in pain and he said that they'd seen at least three um, stab wounds on his abdomen who again they said they weren't actively bleeding um, they were described as thin and small and didn't seem to be fresh but they had dried blood around them and paramedics couldn't tell exactly how deep they were again they noted that they had those scratches on his head and hands um, he was given some painkillers and taken to hospital and was but did, did they say he spoke to them? Did they give evidence about what Ms. Puska had said when they when they treated him or was that? No, the next time we hear from what Joseph Puska had said yeah. was um, after he got to the hospital right, and he okay. had a conversation with Gardy. Yeah. So at this point, as we spoke with, um, I think the last episode, um, he, Joseph Puska had told Gardy that he had been a victim of stabbing um, and he had been stabbed in Blanchardstown. So one of the guards from Blanchestown went to the hospital after they became aware that of Joseph's story. Yeah. Um, there had been a double stabbing in Blanchardstown on January twelfth. Yeah. So and they were it was being investigated. They thought that he might be a third victim of this. Um, so 
Sergeant McDonnell went to uh, Joseph Puska's bed where he was asleep. He saw a large dressing over part of his abdomen and said he could see a distinctive marks all over his forehead and hands. Um, the guard spoke to him through an interpreter and he told um, Joseph Puska that he was there to help him. At this point, he was not a suspect. He had no kind of connection at all to what happened to Ashton Murphy. Yeah. Um, Mr. Puska told the guardie that he had traveled from Tullamore to Houston Station before he got to Blanchardstown by taxi where he said he was going to meet a woman. Again, we heard that this is a woman named Maria. Um, and he told the guardie that once he had gotten there, he'd been immediately set upon and assaulted by two men um, at around 5.30 the, prior, the day prior. Yeah. Um, however, other eyewitness evidence and CCTV has him still in Tullamore at that point. Uh, the guardie, out of kind of routine, took photographs of his injuries. Um, and when they returned back to the guard station, they they discussed what happened and they basically decided to get in touch with the guards in Tullamore because what he was saying just wasn't adding up. Um, the same guard went back to the hospital late that night and spoke to a doctor who again was, was this is when they were trying to speak to him, but he was um, undergoing surgery and the guards couldn't give any medical information or other details about Joseph Puska until they got a warrant. And obviously the Ashley Murphy's uh, family have been here through all of this, this time. Have there been, there's been a lot of, crowds at it again still? There has still a lot of crowds. I mean, there's still an overflow court in operation. Um, it's still drawing a lot, a lot of attention. You kind of see the same faces there nearly every yeah. day from the public. Um, it looks to me like the, the prosecution said earlier this week that they had hoped to close their case by Friday. It looks now like it's going to be Tuesday, Wednesday and taking okay. into consideration that Monday's a bank holiday, it is only a, a day or two extra on top of that. So then obviously defence will, will, will make their case and that's, we don't know how that's going to go or what length of time. But the judge has clearly indicated that he believes it'll the evidence be all completed uh, by the 10th of the November. Was that the date that was said? Yeah, I mean, it seems like, the, you know, every evening he kind of asks where we're at with progress. Um, he seems to be pleased with the progress that is being made. I mean, this is a case that we were told was going to be in court for about six to eight weeks. Yeah. So it seems to be that we're going ahead of schedule at the moment. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll keep catching up and we'll come, we'll come back for a further update before the end of the week. Thank you, now. Thanks very much, Claudia. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.